This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. As a woman who owns an independent agency, I was completely blown away by talking to Gay Gaddis. Gay Gaddis is the founder and CEO of T3, which is the largest women-owned independent advertising agency in the country. With over 200 employees nationwide and more than $300 million in capitalized billings, she is a total trailblazer. She's got dozens, I don't know, maybe even hundreds of awards under her belt, uh, including, you know, she's part of the Fortune's Most Powerful Women Network. I could go on and on about Gay, but I think what's most interesting about her is the versatility within her career. You know, she's not only an agency owner, she's a rancher, she's an artist, and she's doing incredible things. You are going to love this podcast. Take a listen. Welcome, Gay, to the show. Thank you so much. It's a delight to talk to you today. Oh, it's a total honor to talk to you. I've read your story and love it, and I would love for you to tell our listeners kind of the story of your career and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, um, dialing back to my undergraduate degree, I was a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Studio Art which means I was trained as a fine artist. And the minute I got out of school um, at the University of Texas in Austin, I went straight to work in the advertising business because in those days, believe it or not, before Macs and before computers, we did everything by hand. So the fact that I had great hand skills allowed me to do storyboards and comps, and I could also write copy. So I went in the advertising business, and that became my career. One thing led to another, and eventually I... I uh, ended up back in Austin, Texas, which at the time in 1982 was a very sleepy little town and there wasn't much going on in the ad business. But I helped build another company there for several years. Um, Then we had a big recession and Texas was specifically hurt by the recession. So in the 87, 88, 89, we were pretty in pretty bad shape. So the company I was with ended up downsizing and there was a lot of angst about where we were going to go in the future. So I wrote a business plan and everyone was excited about it except for the president of the company. So he decided he was not going to support my plan and I found out, he told me, and I got mad and about 20 minutes later I went down the hall and quit. And I said, well, if I can't do it here, I'm going to do it someplace else. So I had only, you won't believe this, $16,000 saved in an IRA because we were all downsized and our salaries had been cut. I had three small children and it was just a wild time. So (laughs) I took my IRA, became incorporated and started my little company in 1989 with three people, me and two others in Austin, Texas. So were you terrified? Just out of curiosity, like, okay, so you have three small kids, you have 16,000 in IRA. Were you like, 
did you know that you were going to be successful in your mind or were you totally terrified or was it both? Give me what was in your head at that moment before you move forward with the story. Okay. Well, of course I was terrified, but you know, when you have that much pressure on you to succeed, uh, failure becomes an option that's not going to work. <laughs> so I knew I had to make something work. Uh, my husband was also in the industry and, you know, again, we were all hurt in the industry and everybody was. So uh, salaries and money was tight. But I knew that I had to make it work and so I did. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm for me, the reason that I started the agency and the premise it was started on was that it would be award-winning creative matched with absolute tangible results. And I believed that if I could prove that I was getting results for our clients, it would be much harder for them to fire us. So I stayed in there constantly digging and looking for how do we, or how do we measure this? How do we make sure that we're getting an ROI for that client that makes sense for the spend in their ad dollars that they're doing? So that became kind of the, the crux of what we were all about. You know, great work that is results-oriented. So that's how we kind of built the whole company, and it's always been the, the mantra since then. And I'll tell you a funny little story. Uh, my husband and I were out to dinner shortly after I started the company, and we were sitting there, and he said, now tell me the real positioning for your company. What, what are you really going to do to differentiate yourself? So I said, well, we're going to be the science and art of advertising. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And finally, he was just going, BS, BS, it's not going to work. I mean, everybody can say that. So finally, after a couple glasses of wine, I stamped my hand on the table, and I said, we're going to do kick-ass work for clients who want to kick-ass. And he said, that's it. So Amazing. that became our, our mantra from the day one, you know, and um, that's really what we're still about. We want to work with awesome clients, and we do, uh, that really want to make a difference and pioneer new ways of doing things. Okay, so how long have you been doing this now? Okay, so I started the company. This was 1989. We just celebrated our 27th anniversary uh, as an independent agency, and it has been, like I said, quite a ride. There's a lot of reasons why I think Forrester named us uh, recently in their innovation wave uh, one of the top five innovative agencies in the world. And uh, it's because of the way we approach things, and we've never lost that mantra of, you know, we're going to get the results that we need, and we're going to try new things and continue to innovate. Okay. So lots of questions here. I absolutely love this story. So you've been for a long time doing this now. You must have hit points where it wasn't always an upward trajectory, right? You must have hit points in the road that were like, wow, or lost a key client or been in a space where it was really difficult. How did you weather through um, times of trouble in the agency space? As we know, it all goes in waves, right? And so how, do you, how did you approach that um, as you grew? Okay, so uh, yes, we definitely have had bumps in the road, and I will tell you that 90% of the bumps in the road have been based on the economy, yep. and when the, the economy goes down, guess where the dollars get cut? fast yep. and furiously on the marketing and, and advertising side because it's an easy line item to take out. And that way, companies can not reduce their overhead so much if they can take dollars out of our pocket. So, so yes, we've had some rough times where that happened. We've had uh, agency consolidations that hurt us where, you know, we were out. And one time I had to resign my biggest account because they wanted us to sell. 
and yeah. it was Dell, and, and I wasn't about to sell the company. I mean, it was an, a really rough decision, and it was a huge account that I had to walk away from. So how do you do that? I mean, you have to stick to your guns. You've got to be, you know, is this what's right for us at the time? Is this what's right for our clients? Is this what's right for my staff to keep a culture and to keep an organization that is constantly moving forward and has a good, um, you know, morale based to it. So we, when that happens, and, and it have, has happened through the years, uh, we've sometimes had to make some pretty quick decisions. And what I feel like happens for a lot of companies um, is that they'll they'll sit on something hoping for that next big brass ring to come along. When I see that we're going to lose millions of dollars, you've got to make quick actions. And so we have a disaster plan in place at all times of what we would do to cut and what we're going to do to survive moving forward. And you have to make quick decisions. You, you cannot wait. And I think because we're able to act quickly and make sometimes overhead cuts that are painful, you can move on. And, and, and I kind of think about it as this is a bizarre story, but my mother had cancer when she was 12 years old. And they, as a result, they had to remove her right arm. She was right handed and it was a really rough time in her life and she would always tell me later that guys it was the choice of taking off my right arm or losing my entire body and dying and so I think about that sometimes it's kind of a bizarre analogy but in the agency business sometimes you have to take off a limb to save the rest of the ship you know and so we we have to do that and they're unpleasant but we try as hard as we can to help people when we have to do layoffs or if we change something in the business that's uh, going to cut overhead, getting smarter, working smarter, uh, that will save sometimes even just thousands of dollars a month can make a big difference. I'll tell you one quick little funny story. is one And during one of these times, um, we used to have this thing called Candy Friday. And we would dump out about 10.30 every morning on Friday in all the offices, big bowls of candy. And people loved it. They'd come, you know, running from their offices and all run down there and grab candy. And it was kind of a funny tradition, kind of hilarious. Since then, we've kind of added some fruit and things and nicer stuff to the candy. But one time this happened, at one of these recessions hit, and I decided to cut out Candy Friday. I sat down with my CFO and I said, how much is this candy costing us? And she oh said, would you goodness. be surprised? And I said, we could almost save a job, a, a low, you know, entry-level job just on the candy we're spending. But you would have thought when I took away Candy Friday that I had shot a dog in the front yard of the office because people went berserk. And I had to put, I decided to take it out of my own pocket and put the candy back out because they were really so sad. I think it was more, not just the candy, it was the symbol that we were failing, you know. And so I brought Candy Friday back. But it's weird how some of those things, you know, really kind of mean more to people than you think. Absolutely. That is a great story. Actually, a series of great stories. So, okay, question for you about the changing face of advertising. So you've been at this creative agency for many, many years, and the vehicles where this sort of creative content gets distributed is very different. So when television used to be the be-all, end-all, now there's been much more of a shift to social and, and online and digital. How has your company weathered through that and changed with the times. Can you talk to me a little bit about that shift? Um, was that difficult and, and how the agency it changed as a result of the changing times? 
Okay. Well, we were just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I can't tell you anything any different than that because I told you, you know, I started the agency in Austin, Texas, which at the time was just like Austin, who, where, you know. And then, you know, Michael Dell came along and he was kind of a young company at the time my company was young. We started working with Dell in 1992. And Michael came out very publicly and said, we are going to sell through the Internet, and it perfectly fits our direct model from Dell to consumer, Dell to business. So because of it, we had a paying client in the early 90s who was pushing us, and we pushed them to develop some of the very first effective online marketing campaigns in the country or in the world for that matter. And we learned how to do all these things before anyone even knew it was going to be anything. So here we were, you know, rocking along with Dell in the 90s and, you know, sending out emails that would make millions of dollars. And, you know, it became a Trojan horse for us. We had companies calling us from around the country saying, are you the company that did these email campaigns? Are you the company who did the first online banners, that first online media campaigns? And we would say yes. And so we got into Chase and to Marriott, to JCPenney, UPS. I mean, it was just incredible how uh, the momentum that we had built from being early, early adopters in the internet uh, would change the face of the company forever. Um, so I have them to thank because if I hadn't had a paying client, I may not have jumped into that mm. as, with such gusto, you know. Um, so we did. We were the first agency to ever develop a website for a beer company, Shiner Bach. And it was very innovative. In 1994, Adweek wrote about it and called it P3 Develops uh, Website for the World Wide Web. That's what we used to call it back then. Remember the World Wide Web? Of course I do. And that hilarious? And so, so we were early on. And then one thing led to another. We were very fast to adopt social. Uh, we did some of the very first social campaigns in the country with JCPenney. We were very, very fast to adopt mobile. Uh, we were actually, you know, listed uh, by several companies as our top three companies that they would do mobile with uh, because we have integrated some very complex campaigns. We did the first contextual app in the country for 7-Eleven, and that means we knew what time of day it was, the weather, uh, where your direction you're going, all those things. And so we we created this app that was literally the first contextual app in the country. We've done giant big website builds for major companies. And so all that to us, the digital piece, it's everything's digital now. It, it, so there, even though we still do some traditional advertising, the center of everything is digital. It's how everyone is engaged in, in getting their information. And we just completed a study called the useful brand and we believe that brands have to do and then say because as you mentioned the old television model was if I could run a television spot that was endearing made you cry made you laugh was cool then maybe you would love my brand and come buy my my goods or services yep on the other hand we believe now though that the consumer has to think that the brand is useful that it is engaging, that it makes their life easier, that there's something about that brand that makes them want to get involved and engage. And so we did this study, and some of the top useful brands were things like Amazon, Band-Aids, you know, Kleenex. People find these brands very useful, and then therefore they buy them. So the world's changed so much in how people are wanting to engage with brands. Okay. Tell me about being the largest women-owned 
independent agency and competing against the big holdings. For our listeners who don't know, you know, many, many agencies are owned by these giant holding companies and Gates Company is the largest women-owned independent advertising agency in the country. So talk to me about when you run into this, why did you, why did you choose to stay independent first? And then how do you compete when so much of this is political? I know you mentioned like the person who wanted you to sell to be part of a larger group. How do you compete against the holdings in that way? Okay, because I think sometimes our solutions, we're more nimble. Yep. Uh, They know who owns the company, who's making the decisions. Yep. So we're very transparent with our clients about a lot of times they'll come to us and say, wow, you all get things done. You're fast. You're nimble. So once we can get into a company and they see how we work and the dedication of our teams, there's a difference. And uh, I think there's just a difference in the the model and how we, you know, work with our clients and how we set up the teams. We're a think tank. T3 stands for the think tank. And every one of our clients have special think tank rooms in our offices where we bring in all kinds of people and they can see how we work, what the ideas are. And we start throwing ideas on the wall before the client even asks for them. And so they like our innovation. They like uh, our solutions. And sometimes our solutions are so much more simple than some of the larger companies. They want to make it a very complex kind of sale, and we can go, hey, we can do it this way. Why, have, why build this from scratch when you can do it from this platform? We know our technology. We have fabulous software engineers, and we know how to get things done more efficiently, sometimes cheaper, sometimes faster. But it's not always about cheaper, faster. It's about the innovative ideas. It's about, you know, that relationship that you build with the clients. And they see the sincerity of our teams. And, you know, my family's been in this business with me. I mean, my husband was a COO for a while. Um, and my son is now chief innovation officer. So they know that the Gaddis family is in this and that we stand behind our word. And we're going to do what we say and try to do the best we can. We all make mistakes. But then they, if we do, they sure know who to call. It's me. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. And you're also, not only are you the founder and CEO of T3, but you are also a rancher and you Mm -hmm. are also an artist. Talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about both of those things because we can't not touch on this. It's really amazing that you have this sort of versatility in your career and your interests. Okay, well, let's, yes, let's go back to uh, my undergraduate degree. Uh, I did go back to school and work on marketing courses through the years because I felt like I needed those. But um, the, the thing is, my heart was always as an artist, and I dabbled here and there, you know, through the years, but never had the time or the discipline. As I mentioned to you, I have three children. Uh, I have been, uh, I was just uh, stepped down as chair of the committee of 200, C200. Uh, I'm on the board of directors of Monotype, which is a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ, TYPE. I'm the first woman chairman of the Texas Business Leadership Council, which is an all-CEO-based policy uh, government type uh, business group in Texas. Uh, yeah, I'm the CEO of T3, and now I'm a painter and an artist. Um, so I have many careers, yes, and I'm a rancher too. So the way that the whole time worked out for me to be out at the ranch is that because of technology, 
and high-speed internet, I can do a lot of work from our ranch. So, you know, a lot of these board calls, uh, T3 calls, client calls, uh, all the things that I do, I can step away and do that for an hour and then go back to painting. So I've spent a little more, about the past two years, more and more time at the ranch because I paint from life. I paint exactly what I'm seeing uh, with these big sunsets, big sunrises, big beautiful colors in the skies and the landscapes that we have at our Texas Hill Country Ranch. And so it would not have been possible if it wasn't for the technology that I have that allows me to just break away. I can be anywhere, you know, and uh, engage in a dialogue on some of the important business things that I'm involved in, go back to the painting an hour later. And it actually is an interesting dichotomy because when I'm painting, I get really into it for about two hours because I'm trying to paint as fast as I can from what I'm seeing. And when I step away from it for a little while, it gives me that new perspective. And so I, I jigger my brain around to, to deal with another complex topic. And then I come back and I'm looking at the painting. And I say, ah, that's what I want to do with this, or this is what's wrong with this part of the painting. So it's really been kind of an interesting way to juggle the two lives. And, uh, you know, I have many careers uh, that I'm involved in, but um, being able to go back as an artist has been so fulfilling for me. It's just uh, coming from my soul. Um, one of my creative directors at T3 said, you know, Gay, the work that we do at T3 is based on deadlines, it's clients, it's, it's creative briefs, it's all these things that come from your head. And we think and we're creative, but he said, the paintings you do are coming straight from your heart and soul. And I have to tell you, it's risky to put them out there. Uh, it's scary because after all these years not showing my work or even having anything to show, to say, okay, world, here it is. Uh, wow. It's been a little a little daunting and it's a dream come true for me, but it was it's been scary. When you put your heart and soul out there, it's very different than anything else. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. And so, so far, the response has been good. I'm sure some people don't like it, and I have a pretty thick skin, but it, it's been it's been a real adventure already in the past few weeks just to have that uh, gallery opening in Chelsea and at uh, the Curator Gallery. It's at 520 West 23rd. Uh, the show is up through May 7th. And it's a, it's a, it really is pretty. I have to just tell you, it's a, people come in and they can relate to the colors. But some of the New Yorkers come in and say, wow, did you cheat those colors up on those guys? Because they couldn't be those bright pinks and purples. <laughs> and I say, come to Texas and sit yeah, with me on my porch. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We don't see that here in New York sometimes. It's, it's amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Such yeah. a great story, Gay, and I'm I'm so excited for you and and all that your future has in store. You've done done such amazing things. Where should people connect with you if they want to connect? If they hear you on this and they're really inspired, should they reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn? Where should they go? I've gone everywhere. So yeah. I'm, I'm Facebook, I'm Twitter, I'm LinkedIn, I'm Instagram. Uh, we're real involved in social media there. But I also have a website that's been set up because uh, I do a lot of speaking as well. Um, I have a large resume of speaking engagements. So you can go to just gaygaddis.com. It's G-A-Y-G-A-D-D-I-S.com, gaygaddis.com. And um, you can see, you know, what's going on with the art, with uh, my writing, with um, some about T3. But, of course, if they are interested in T3, that's t-3.com. And there's my story is there as well. That's great. Gay, it was so wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you, Carrie. It's been a delight talking to you. And thanks for your interest in my work. And uh, I look forward to hearing all this. 
You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.